0: I invite you to rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, along with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and so they immediately told Jesus about her. He came to her, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was at the door, and many who were sick were healed of various diseases and many who were demon-oppressed. Now early the next day, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went away to a place that was desolate to pray. Now Simon and the others who were with him were looking for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there as well. For that is why I came out. And he went through all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Mark to record these words of scripture We believe these words not only had power in the day that Mark wrote them, but these words have power this morning because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word for us afresh. Breathe on your church that we may hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this your holy word and be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name, for the sake of the world. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I changed the sermon text this morning because I desperately need healing. I changed the sermon text this morning because you desperately need healing. And our neighbors desperately need healing. And our nation desperately needs healing. And our world desperately needs healing. The question is, facing all this need for true healing in our own lives and in our world, is the church praying for healing? Actively, boldly, constantly Facing disease and division and death and disappointment and so much depression within our world right now, it seems that we are quick to speak words of politics and rather slow to speak words of prayer. And part of it is I think we're living in this technological worldview where we've been taught in this modern worldview that all the solutions to our problems are in our hands, right? All we need is a new piece of technology, a new bit of human knowledge, and we can solve whatever problem is in front of us. As Craig Gay, one of my professors at Regent College, writes, even Christians in the modern world are tempted to live as though God did not exist, or at least as if his existence did not practically matter. It is the temptation to practical atheism. It's a little bit like the captain of the sinking ship. Sometimes I think this is the way we see prayer, our world sees prayer. A captain of a sinking ship who calls out to everyone on board and says, is there anyone here who knows how to pray? And one person says, I know how to pray. And the captain says, good. You pray while the rest of us put on life jackets, we're one short. <laughs> Often prayer is seen more like a placebo, a placebo than as a source of power something that will comfort us rather than actually make a change in this world. That's why I felt convicted to change the preaching text to Mark chapter one. If you'll turn there with me at verse 29, we see this healing story, this story of healing prayer. And here's what Mark one shows us as the church that we must be a people who pray for healing because healing is the gospel. The gospel is healing. Fundamentally, the gospel is about God putting the world back together. We pray for healing because healing is gospel, good news. But also, we pray for healing because healing prayer always points to something greater than itself, something bigger, something more profound, deeper and lasting, even than that particular temporal need we're praying for. There's always something bigger that that healing prayer is pointing towards in the gospel. But we pray for healing not just because it's gospel and because it points to something greater than itself, but because it's Global. It goes everywhere. It is for every place, in every season, in every time, and every type of person, because fundamentally it's full of grace. See, we pray for healing first because it's gospel. That word, gospel, good news. That word in Greek, euangelion, which is declaring good news or victory or conquest. It's the word that Jesus speaks here at the beginning of Mark chapter 1, his, his opening sermon, Mark 1 14 and 15. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the euangelion, the good news, of the gospel. Believe this victory. This victory that God is putting the world back together. God has come down to solve all that is wrong in us. That's what gospel means. And we see that in our text in verse 29. It starts referencing what just happened. It says, and immediately before he goes to heal Peter's mother-in-law, we're told immediately... He left the synagogue, and you got to ask, well, what happened in the synagogue? Well, after Jesus' sermon, his announcement in chapter one, verse fifteen of the on the gospel, God's victory, God is put in the world's back together. We're told that he's in the synagogue in Capernaum teaching, teaching what? Teaching the same thing. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the euangelion, the gospel, God's victory. And as soon as Jesus speaks that word of teaching, we're told in verse 23 that there was in a synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the holy one of God but Jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed amazed why what is this they said a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him You see, Jesus is in church speaking the gospel, and the result is the words of gospel can barely come off Jesus' lips before gospel happens in their midst. Someone whose life is torn apart by a demonic spirit is instantly freed. Victory, evangelion, good news, This is why the crowd says he speaks with authority. He doesn't just come and give us well wishes and hopes and dreams. Jesus comes with the gospel, and the gospel takes foot, takes place, takes hold in that moment. It's realized before their eyes. In the words of Mr. Beaver from the Chronicles of Narnia, Speaking of the Christ figure Aslan, he puts it this way: "Heal Aslan, heal, put all to rights." As it says in an old rhyme in these parts: "Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows know no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death, and when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again." This is what it means for the gospel to be brought into our world through Jesus. The world put back together. The world put to rights. The world healed. And we believe that, don't we? We believe that God is in the business of putting the world to rights. But do we pray like we believe that? Does our prayer life reflect... The fact that we believe that God is putting the world to rights, that God is in the business of healing this world. As many of you know, our second oldest daughter was sick chronically for seven years in and out of children's hospitals when she was young. And what happens when you're a priest with A chronically sick child is you get all kinds of different responses it becomes an amazing barometer read of the communities you're working in and serving and interacting with and certainly in my case the leadership structure within the church i get very used to hearing from colleagues and from bishops and others words of sympathy oh we're so sorry that must be so difficult great compassion very sympathetic And they also would often give solutions. Have you seen that article on WebMD? Dr. Oz had this great thing last week. Have you read that? Maybe that'll be the solution. Sympathy and solutions, so often, but very little prayer. It was an amazing thing when in 2009, we came into this new Anglican Church in North America, this whole work of God to bring together Episcopalians into a biblical, orthodox, doctrinally sound movement of the Spirit, being called by bishops and archbishops in Africa and Southeast Asia and around the world to say, let's bring the gospel back to America. And all of a sudden, I'm in this new world with a new leadership structure. I'm two weeks into this new structure, And Sophie gets sick. And I'm in the hospital. I'll never forget. It's two in the morning. And my cell phone rings. A number I don't know. I answer it. And the voice on the other end says, Father, this is Bishop Donald Harvey. This is my new bishop in the ACNA. He's a Newfoundlander. I can't do the Newfoundland accent any good. But it's on the eastern side of Canada. This This is Bishop Donald Harvey. Now, Just to be clear, I've not yet met this man at this point, face to face. I've had a phone call with him a couple weeks ago when we were brought in. I've got a license, a piece of paper that says I'm in. But we've never actually met each other. We have no real relationship. And he calls and says, and of course I pause, thinking to myself, I'm used to the idea that bishops call you when you're in trouble. It's two in the morning, I'm in the hospital. What's going on? And he says, I hear that your daughter... Sophie Jane, is it? Sophie Jane is, is, is in the hospital. And she's, and she's sick. And I hear that this happens quite often. And I call to pray. And I'm just gobsmacked. I have no words. Lengthy pause. Father. Yes, Bishop. Father, why are you still on the phone? I said I called to pray with your daughter. Would you put her on the phone. I turn to my five-year-old daughter in the hospital. Your bishop wants to pray for you for healing. Suddenly I understood the words for the first time of 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you only in Word but in power and with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It is an amazing thing to be within a church that prays, prays for healing. But we don't just pray for healing because it's the gospel, as as much as that would be enough of a reason, but because praying for healing points to something greater than itself. You see, one of the problems we always run into whenever we talk about praying for healing is that sense of timidity that some of us may have in situations when someone is ill or we're ill, and we don't quite know what to do with the so-called problem of seemingly unanswered prayers. We're timid to pray because we think, well, what am I getting myself into? Am Am I gonna pray and that's gonna cause more hurt if God doesn't show up and heal in the way that I want God to heal? Because God has this tendency to answer prayers the way he wants to answer them, not always the way we want them answered. And sometimes that causes us a sense of timidity. And the problem is many Christians give really bad answers to this question of seemingly unanswered prayer, especially if you're watching television at two in the morning. There's really bad answers for why God doesn't answer the prayers exactly the way we want them answered sometimes. Some some Christians will say, well, God doesn't answer prayers the way we want them answered, um, either because God is deficient, kind of along the lines of Rabbi Harold Kushner, who back in the 80s wrote a terrible book called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. He was working through the death of his own 14-year-old son But he came to the conclusion that the only way he could reconcile the goodness of God in the Bible and the sovereignty of God is that one had to give way. Either God could be good or could be sovereign. And so Kushner said, God is good and he's not sovereign. Somehow there's some things that God maybe just can't do. And that is not a Christian answer. That is not the answer of scripture. But on the flip side, sometimes people say, God doesn't answer the prayer exactly what we asked uh, because we're deficient. You know, you did not have enough faith. It's a great cop-out, right? You did not have enough faith, so God didn't heal you. Only you had more faith. Or sometimes it's deficiency in the one offering the prayer. I love to tell the story of how whenever pastors get together to play sports, when no parishioners are watching, we're terribly violent with each other. And I think it's because we have to sort of be good and holy all the time. We're trying to put on a good face. And then when we're alone, we're like, okay, now we're going to beat on each other, right? And we were playing hockey with a group of pastors and one of the pastors got hurt. He hurt his back. And so he's at home, he's got Advil, he's lying on the couch trying to recover, sore back, prayed for. One of the pastors calls, his wife picks up and says, I hear Dave is injured and hurt. We need to pray and pray. So I said, oh, thanks. Yeah, we've been praying. Please keep praying. He says, no, 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 no. He's still on his back in pain. Who prayed? (laughs) The problem is it's not about God being deficient or us being deficient. The truth is that as we offer our prayers of healing to God, he is going to do what is right according to his good sovereign will. And let's be clear, looking at this text, God is not in the business of just healing our temporal wounds. God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to do a much greater work Then just heal our temporal wounds. And you may say, just our temporal wounds? That's what I'm going through right now. That's what my loved one is going through. Yes, but it's temporal. Look at this passage. Verse 38. Jesus, after this incredible evening of healing, right? The whole city shows up. People are getting healed like crazy. Demons are popping out. The next morning, Jesus goes off by himself to pray. Peter and the disciples... We're told, effectively panic, where is he? Everyone's looking for you, they say. Do you hear the weight of that phrase, everyone's looking for you? In other words, Jesus, you're so famous after the healing last night that there's already a lineup at Simon's house. We've got signs up. Here all week long, Judas is thinking of renting a whole arena for us. This is the greatest. You should have seen what was in the offering plate last night, Jesus. This is the best moment of ministry. And what does Jesus say? I've been praying all night to my father. Let's go on to the next town that I may preach there. In other words, we're going to leave these people who are looking for Jesus behind. And you want to say, that doesn't fit my worldview of Jesus. Jesus is this compassionate, always so concerned with everyone's needs that how could he possibly have left a group of people behind? Do you hear the truth of the gospel that not everyone in Capernaum got healed that wanted to get healed? Because Jesus did not come to heal our temporal illnesses alone. He came to heal what is eternal within us, something much greater His healing, his temporal healing was always partial. Did you hear that? Jesus' temporal healing was always partial. Put it this way. Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, eventually got sick and died again. The woman who got healed hemorrhaging with blood, eventually her body broke down and she died as well. And so on and so forth. These healings, as amazing as they were, were only partial. But Jesus came instead to do a healing in us that would be eternal. The greater purpose for which he came was to deal with that which we need healed eternally. And you see it right in the text as well here. When he heals the mother-in-law, verse 31. You almost can miss it, but the entire gospel is in verse 31. Verse 31. It says that he took her by the hand, the sick woman, he took her by the hand and he raised her up. It's the whole gospel. Here's why. You don't touch sick people in the ancient Near East. Jew, Gentile, no one touches a sick person. In their worldview, sickness hops between people not just in an infectious disease kind of way, but in a kind of a spiritual deep way. You never touch a sick person because whatever is wrong in them will transfer into you. Same with a sinner, same with a demon oppressed person. You don't touch them because it'll transfer into you. Jesus takes her by the hand. Can you imagine the disciples gasping when he says this, when he does this? Mark says it, Matthew says it in his version of this as well. He takes her by the hand. The disciples must be thinking, where's the fever going to go? Where is the illness going to go? What is this pointing to? Can you hear the words of Isaiah 53 that Matthew uses in his version of this story? Surely he has borne our illnesses and carried our diseases. That even in this moment, as they're saying, Jesus, where's the bad stuff gonna go? It's gonna go into your body, exactly. Everything wrong in you is gonna go into me. It points to the cross. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That on the cross, Jesus bore our sins in his body, in his flesh, but he also, we're told, raises her up. And it's the exact same word as Mark chapter 16, verse six. He is risen. In this story, what Jesus in this temporal healing is pointing to, if we can hear it, is that yes, this woman has a temporal healing moment, but he's pointing to something so much greater that exists in every moment that we pray to Jesus for healing, that he comes to bear our sin in his body and bear our death, that he can raise us up again in the last day. Every time we pray for healing, whether the temporal healing happens as we want it or not, when we come to him in faith, he answers that prayer of healing always with a resounding eternal yes, I will bear ultimately everything that is wrong in you. I will fundamentally and eternally heal you. Always, yes, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you refreshment. But finally, not only do we pray for healing because it's gospel and because it's always pointing to something greater but because it's global. Verse 39, we're told that he's gonna go out through all of Galilee preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Already his ministry here is in Galilee and we forget how crazy it is that Jesus, God in the flesh, is doing ministry good works in Galilee. Galilee was such a mixed up part 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 of Israel. The Jews in Galilee were so tied up in paganism that they got a nickname for themselves, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's effectively a pagan Gentile region. You're not, you're not even really good Jews. That's why Nazareth being in Galilee, when in John chapter one, verse 46, Nathaniel hears about Jesus, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth is in Galilee, Nothing good comes out of Galilee. God could never show up in Galilee. Isn't it true that so often we categorize situations and people and places as outside of hope, beyond the realm of God's hope, beyond healing, beyond help? If we're honest, we don't really think that God could ever really show up in Galilee. the grace of God goes where it is unexpected where it is unearned where it is undeserved as Brennan Manning says he comes for corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents and even used car salesmen to that Backwards broken tax collector up a tree. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must go to your house today. The question we need to ask in our lives is what people or problems or even personal brokenness, personal illness, personal patterns of temptation do we see ultimately as Galilee of the Gentiles? God, I don't even bring that to you anymore to pray for because I don't really think you're going to heal it. You know, after seven years of Sophie being sick, if I'm honest, I didn't really think that she was going to get better. I learned how to pray for her temporal healing and also her ultimate healing. Lord, ultimately raise her from the dead one day. But and I and I share this always carefully because not every family with a sick child experiences this end of the story. But in 2013, I was in Kenya at a global Anglican Futures conference, and the thing that I worried the most about being on the other side of the world happened. I got a text from Monica at about nine in the morning, Kenya time, two in the morning in Ottawa saying, she's sick, we're heading into the hospital. And I'm in my head, making plans to come home, trying to get onto the airline. It's gonna take me a full day to get home, but I gotta get home now. I'm trying to fix it, I'm trying to solve it. Friend of mine who's a priest next to me sees the text on my phone, knows Sophie's story, puts his arm around me and says, let's pray. And we prayed, like we've prayed so many times, before but then something strange happened a few hours later I'm still trying to get on with the airlines to get home and I get a text from Monica it says she's healed and the context was that she never once ever got sick and not ended up in emergency and so this itself was just amazing but even then I still thought well great nice moment of temporal healing temporary and Monica said, no, no, I really think she's healed. And later that afternoon, she was out in a track and field race. I mean, it was like God was showing off. And here's the amazing testimony. I came from, came from Kenya, and Sophie never got sick again. She had been healed. I had come to the place of believing that this, if I'm honest, was Galilee of the Gentiles. What for you have you stopped praying about? Stopped bringing before God for his mercy and his healing and his grace? What in your own life or within our community or your family or within our nation or within our world just seems too big and too impossible for God to come in and do his work? With man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In the words of Jeremiah 32, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I am desperately need, in need of healing. You are desperately in need of healing. Our neighbors and our nation and our world desperately in need of healing? Are we as the church praying for healing? Are we praying? We pray for healing because it's the gospel. Because it's always pointing to something even greater than that temporal need. And because it's global, it goes everywhere because it's filled with grace. So let us delay no longer and let us pray now as the people of God. Let us take this moment together to bring our needs before God and the needs of our world before God. And let us ask with boldness and with trust and with courage for God to heal our world.